Welcome to the Base Path Podcast brought to you by New England Baseball Journal. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan, along with co-host Matt Feld. Today, we're going to do an MIA preview, and Matt is covering the MIA again this year for the Boston Herald. He'll be doing a weekly top 10 ranking for New England Baseball Journal. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Awesome to be here. Yeah. Now, as we look back on last year, I guess a good place to start is just kind of impressions from the 2022 season. Uh, last year, Division One, the championship game was Taunton and Franklin. Milton won Division Two. It was a big season for the Hockamock League. They had like a great record in the in the tournament across three divisions. What were your biggest takeaways from last season, or what are what are kind of the most memorable moments? I, mean, I just thought the statewide tournament, which you know was the first time last year that it was incorporated, really allowed the top teams to kind of be the last teams that were left standing. Franklin and Taunton, to me, clearly separated themselves as the deepest teams in Division One in the state. And I thought you saw that play out throughout the course of the tournament, allowed them to meet in the state final. They would have met in the sectional finals and in previous years, which would have been a state quarterfinal. So you probably would have ended up with a, with a state final where it was really kind of one-sided. And I thought that played out across pretty consistently all divisions where the better games were happening in the semifinals and the state finals. I think you'll con- continue to see that play out this year. Teams are encouraged because of the new power ranking formula when it comes to seedings to play strong non-league schedules. I think you've seen a lot of teams go out and try and schedule really good non-league opponents, which I just think is better for, for the game. The top teams are consistently playing each other. So to me, the biggest takeaway is that by and large, when you looked across all the divisions, Austin Prep and Foxborough played in the state semifinals. I thought that was a terrific Division Three game. By and large, what you saw were the best teams playing late in the tournament, where in the past, under the old formats, a lot of the better teams were kind of having to face each other earlier on when they were playing up and splitting in sectionals. So the best the best thing happening right now is that because of the way that the, the landscape has changed when it comes to tournament qualification and seeding, is that the best teams are being encouraged to go out and play each other. Yeah, it's interesting. Both of us had been in touch with the coaches both at Taunton and Franklin in the last few weeks or months because they're putting the, initially they were putting together a team Massachusetts to compete yep. in the Geico National Championship. And then those two coaches both pulled out because they are confident that they have strong teams again this year that are going to be playing really late and the schedule is going to overlap with that. Is that the way you see it in Franklin? They both have a number of D1 commits, a lot of players back from last year. Do you think those are the two teams starting in Division One that are the favorites? I think so. I think coming into the year, you can kind of rank them one, two. I don't think it really matters who's number one, who's number two. Maybe you give Ton the benefit of the doubt because they're the defending champions. Just look at the programs. They're consistently in the mix, constantly. Taunton was kind of the victim for a few years of, you know, what I was just alluding to, the old format. They'd run into Franklin in the sectional semis or Braintree or BC, whoever it might be. Walpole, these teams were beating up on each other really in the tournament, so maybe they weren't getting deep into the tournament as opposed to some other programs. And Franklin's always right in the mix. They have been now for a number of years under under Zach Brown. When you look at the the players that these two teams are returning, Alfred Muccioroni, Henry DiGiorgio for Franklin are kind of the centerpieces of what should be another incredibly strong team. On the other side for Ton, Ryan McDougal's back in the center of the lineup. He's going to Dayton, I believe. Hit the game to, game-winning game home run last year in the state final. Both teams bring a number of guys back kind of at the center of their success from previous years. And at this point, those two programs almost like funnel them programs where they could be returning nothing and yet somehow they're still going to find a way to, to be good because they've just developed that sort of pipeline in place where they don't lose a ton of kids to private schools. Their lower levels develop their players to a high magnitude. There are a number of other teams that are certainly going to be in the mix to win the whole thing, but I just don't understand how you don't put those two right at the top in terms of the favorites to be the best teams in the state this year. Yeah, Franklin's got a, even a few more division, like Ryan Garrity in center field yep. is a Northeastern commit. Ice, is it Isig Chin? Chin. He's like going to Stonehill. It's 
amazing all the talent that was on that field last year. I was at Asher Park for the championship game and it was like one through six in the lineup for both kids and everybody who stepped on the mound was going to be playing college baseball. So it was impressive. You said uh, there are some other teams that could compete. I know Braintree, we had uh, the coach in here a few weeks ago. He's a, uh, they're going to have another, another good team this year. Who are some of those other teams that you could see making some noise, possibly challenge in these Hockamock league Taunton and Franklin in the champ or in the tournament? Shrewsbury High School was in the Final Four last year. They lost to Franklin in, in walk-off fashion. I think Shrewsbury should be really good. Once again, most of their centerpieces in their lineup are back, including Colby Coughlin, who I think ended up being their leader hitter last year at third base. I think they should be really good. Walpole, to me, has a number of arms led by Alex C. I think they're going to be really good. They're always one of the best pitching staffs in the state. I think Walpole will be in the mix. You already alluded to Braintree, Bill O'Connell's team, always, always a contender um, across the board. I think when you go up to the Merrimack Valley, Chelmsford has three legit arms. Braden Gray, Matt Stewart, Caleb Stewart. They were young last year and made a nice little run in the tournament. They should be pretty good. Central Catholic returns a lot of high-profile arms at the front of their rotation, and, and they're very athletic in the field. Lemonster, to me, should be good. That's Division Two, but still, Lemonster should be a very good team to me. Rich Barnaby's team returns, I think, seven of nine players from last year. They lost to Milton, defending state championship, and Milton, to me, should be back in the mix. I think you've got nine, 10, 11 teams that could be really, really high-level MIA baseball teams this year, regardless of, of what division they're in. And the conference is always super competitive. Division one, two, two years ago, Zavarian won the state championship from that, from the league. And last year, BC High was in the mix. I think they got the four seed in division one. They have some, I want to say they have about five D1 guys coming back. What about the Catholic conference? Who, who do you think is coming out of there? Zavarian was really young last year. Jerry Lambert, it's hard to say that you have a rebuilding year, but they had a freshman playing shortstop. I think they had two more sophomores in the infield. They had been really senior heavy the year before when they won the state championship back in 2021. And to me, Jerry Lambert just always gets the most out of his guys. I just remember in 2011, they went 10-10, and 10, were like the 22 seed and won the state championship that year. They beat a number of good teams along the way, and that's kind of how his teams play. They always play great the second half of the year. I think Zavarian might have the leg up. I mean, I think CM lost a lot this year. Nick Dorito graduated. He's now at, at UMass Lowell. They lost Gay Mallory, who I believe transferred and reclassifies to Dexter Southfield. So they lost some pretty key pieces on their team. St. John's Prep's always in the mix. They got Aiden Driscoll, who's going to Maryland, kind of at the center of their lineup. But I think I think currently going into the season, I just have a feeling that Severian's going to end up being the team to beat. St. John Shrewsbury is a team to watch out for, too. They were young last year, and they return a lot. I think there's some question marks in terms of whether those young guys have developed. But if they do, they could be statewide contenders also, in, in, along with being in the Catholic Conference. I forget that St. John's is, is in the Catholic Conference sometimes. It's only their second year in the league. Yeah, what were they, Northeastern Conference before that? Or? St. John's was in Central Mass. They were in the Midwatch, the Midwatch maybe, um, oh, okay. for a while. Cool. And then they finally joined the Catholic Conference two years ago. St. John Shrewsbury, that is. Not oh, John, I got gotcha. you. St. John Shrewsbury. Okay. And two, last year it was just Milton's year. Like, they almost <laughs> yeah. they almost ran the table. They were just the chalk all year. Charlie Walker, their top pitcher last year, is now at Northeastern. And he's having a really good freshman year. They still have a couple D1 guys. Tommy Mitchell is a big arm for them, lefty. And then, oh, McHugh's still there, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so they, they still, they, they might have another, well, at least it looks like they'll be strong in defending that title. Who do you think is going to give Milton scare in Division Two? I think it's definitely fair to say Milton's the favorite once again, those two arms. I mean, Mitchell and McHugh, that's as good as you're going to get for high school when it comes to a 1-2 punch. I think King Phillip, who was the runner-up last year, should be really good once again. Tommy Mortarano, left-hander who threw a complete game in the semifinals last year, is back in the mix. So I expect King Phillip to be right there, kind of front and center. I think Mansfield should be really good again. Chris Chris Hall's kind of taken over for, for Joe Breen and kind of taken that 
that train along, I guess, is the best way to put it in there once again. Really, really strong contenders. And then Lemonster, to me, would be my other team in Division Two, a team that's got really good, legit front-of-the-line starters Monday to Friday. And they've got really, really athletic kids in the infield. They're very versatile this year. Rich Barnaby's team always runs the bases incredibly well. To me, Lemonster's a team that lost to Milton in the, in the state quarterfinal last year on the road with a really young team. And I think they should be back in the mix again this year. They're challenging their team. They're playing Chelmsford. They're playing Central Catholic. So they're playing some top-notch teams this year. So I expect Lemonster to be right in the mix as well. Yeah, Lemonster, they played Zavarian in the state championship game like two years ago. They're, they, they're always right there. Yeah, they were Division One that year, and then the new alignments came out. They went down to Division Two. I think they're actually back to Division One next year. But yeah, they're always right in the, they're right in the mix. They've won a couple sectional titles when when they were still in sectionals in Central Mass, and, and they've made a couple state finals. So no, they should. They're always a very very good program. Yeah, that reminds me. So last year, and I think you covered it the same way that I did. They had the Division One, Division Three, and Division Four. I think championships in Lowell. So you couldn't. We couldn't see Division Two yeah. and Four because they were at the same time. Somewhere else. I can't even remember. I think Holy Cross. Yeah, that's where it was. Did you like that format or would you rather have it all in one place, maybe over two days? No, I did not like the format. (laughs) But I understand why there's field availability, there's time constraints, all those things. I mean, I thought it was great when you could play all the games in one site, one day, five, four, five straight games in a row. I thought it was awesome. I think if you say all the state finals are in Lowell, all the state finals are in Holy Cross, whatever it might be, there's no complaining when it comes to commutes, when it, when the time comes, all of them are in Brockton, wherever it might be. I think both are great plays. The last year was an awesome place to have state finals. Holy Cross is a beautiful facility. I just think the state finals should all be in one place. And if one team ends up with a shorter drive than somebody else, so be it. You're going to play at a Division One college facility for a state championship. If you really don't like it that much, you can just stay home. But no, obviously no one would do that. So <laughs> my thing is that I think it's just great for high school baseball in general in the state. If you can tell fans or, or younger fans who are trying to get into baseball, passionate about baseball, youth town town leagues little leagues hey come to Lasher for the day all five state final games are there i think that's just great for the game as opposed to just now people are all over the place i just think that'd be way better for the sport now as we look to division three obviously a hole at the top because austin <laughs> prep has moved to their prep school now so medfield last year was really good but jack goodman's gone he went off to pepperdine they still have some d1 talent at medfield newburyport played austin prep in the championship and it ended up being a way closer game than i was expecting austin prep i think went 24 and 0 on the year they were playing d1 competition all season a lot of uh, they started the year against milton and then they got probably their biggest scare in the state final <laughs> against Newburyport. Who do you like in Division Three this year? I think Foxborough should be good once again. I was really impressed with them last year, and I was talking to Austin Prep coach J.P. Pollard after the season was over, and he thought Foxborough was the best lineup they had played all season long. Austin Prep was in control of that game because Evan Blanco was on the mound, and Blanco came out, and Austin Foxborough scored about four quick runs to make it a two-run game, and they Austin Prep had to put Blanco back in the game to, to kind of close it out. I think they're the favorite this year. I think top to bottom, they've got the best lineup in Division Three. I think Pentucket, who gave Austin Prep a pretty good run for their money as well in the tournament last year, should be good again when you look at their starting staff. I think Newburyport should be in the mix once again. They're very well coached. They're very defensively sound. But I think Foxborough going into the year is probably the favorite in Division Three. Bishop Stang, another team to probably watch out for. Austin Prep's an interesting topic because when we did have J.P. Pollard on the podcast, he was saying one of the biggest inspirations for it was to the MIA rules about connecting as a coach with athletes in the offseason and helping them train, it was pretty prohibitive. And he felt like by making Austin Prep a prep school, there could be more player development in the offseason. There could be more communication, just more leadership provided from the coaching staff. 
it takes a kind of a different school. Austin is a little bit different. It was already a prep school in some ways, obviously a private school. But do you think we'll see any more schools from the MIA kind of follow that path? I think there are a number of schools that have talked about it and strongly considered it. I think right now, if you're looking at a big Catholic conference schools, those that have over 1,000 high school students, the BC highs, I think Xavierians around there, St. John's Prep, there's really just no reason for them to do it right now. They're not struggling from an enrollment standpoint. They're not struggling from a facility standpoint. BC is building a brand new, I think it's like a swimming pool, whatever. They're building some sort of massive athletic complex training facility there. They're not struggling for, for enrollment or kind of encouraging kids to get to their schools. So I think the larger schools, for the most part, are going to stay put for now. Maybe that changes five to seven years down the line. I think there's a better chance that some of those smaller schools that were in the same league as Austin Prep in the Catholic Central League, the Bishop Fenwick's of the world, the St. Mary's of the world. I don't know anything. I don't want to make it sound like I do. I, I really don't. But I think those are the schools that would be way more inclined to potentially consider moving. They become greater drives for enrollment. They become greater drives for athletics, knowing that kids now can officially reclassify. They can work with their coaches more potentially in the offseason. There's more resources being devoted to them because they have to because now they're playing against much better competition in a new league. I think the schools that I would pay attention to are those smaller Catholic schools as opposed to the bigger Catholic schools. I just don't see St. John's Preps won like three Super Bowls the last five years. They're in the conversation for, for baseball every year. The lacrosse program's unbelievable. There's no reason for them to go anywhere. The programs are succeeding just fine. Right. But the smaller schools that I think might be struggling from an enrollment standpoint or from a roster size standpoint, those are the schools that I would watch because I definitely think there are schools out there talking about it. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England baseball? New England Baseball Journal and BaseballJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England baseball scene. Have every issue of New England Baseball Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to BaseballJournal.com to receive baseball coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, Division 1, 2, and 3 colleges, showcases, rankings, and much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to BaseballJournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Baseball Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. Now, as we look to Division 4 and 5, difficult to handicap as a preseason in the preseason just because those are really small schools. A lot of times the seniors are the guys that stand no out doubt. on them, and they're, and they're not back once they help a team get far. So, I mean, last year, Manchester Essex won Division 4, Mount Greylock won Division 5. I don't know if you um, know, you know what schools you're looking at to maybe make a, make a run this year in Division 4 and 5. Like I said, it's a lot of seniors that are gone. So a any thoughts on Division 4 or Division 5? You kind of mentioned to it, but I actually think it's kind of just a baseball-wide phenomenon. We were talking about this before we started, but I feel like baseball sometimes in general one of the tougher sports to handicap. Again, roster sizes, school to school, are much slower or much smaller th than other sports as opposed to maybe football or lacrosse. Also, I feel like the turnover year after year, you don't know who grows. You don't know who becomes more athletic. Pitchers get hurt. Pitchers grow three or four inches, add 10 miles an hour. In general, I just think it's a totally 
kind of different sport in that respect. The season's shorter, or at least it feels shorter. Manchester Essex should be good again, I would think. They return three of their infielders from last year, including Isaac Port, who was probably their best infielder from a season ago. He's a senior this year. And they played Seekonk in the final. I think Seekonk had five, seven freshmen on the team last year that were in the state final. And so I expect them to be good again. In terms of Division 5, Hopedale was very, very senior heavy, at least when you looked at their lineup across the board. But they do return about nine players from last year. And so they should be in the mix again. But Seekonk, again, a team that had six freshmen on the team last year, I believe. And again, that might be a byproduct. Again, we talked about roster size. We talk about school size. The seniors are usually best players, but as a result, maybe as a, the, the, you go down to St. John's Prep, they've got 90 kids at baseball tryouts, right? You go to these small schools, they're hoping for 19 kids at baseball tryouts. That's not an insult. That just, that's just the reality of the situation. Right. And so I, I'd expect Seekonk to be back in the mix again, looking at their roster from a year ago. It's the MIA has in the, throughout the year, They'll have meetings and their and their public meetings to kind of discuss whether or not there there going to be any rule changes, tournament changes, super eight type Every of discussions. Year. Yes. Yeah, and I know you're present at those meetings. Anything that is going to be different this year that they have decided? No, nothing that no rule changes from a year ago. Nothing that stands out. The margin of victory for power seating is still in place. So the amount of runs, or the max amount of runs you can win by for, for you to get credit that you can get credit for. Ten runs is the same as fifteen when it comes to kind of power seating. How many runs you win by? And that might change in the future. The pitch counts are still in place. I don't think those are going anywhere ever again. And I honestly think for good reason. To be honest with you, no one's throwing 165 pitches in the tournament anymore, which I think also again helps showcase who the best teams are. You can't just roll out the same guy every single day and hope his arm doesn't fall off. You need to be creative with your pitching, whether your starters starting three of the five games or closing a game, how you hold them under pitch counts, things like that. I think that's I think that's become a, a cool wrinkle, I suppose. I like the fact that there's a 10-run rule after five innings, by and large. There's no reason for a bigger school to be killing a smaller school in their same league. If it's 17-2 to two in the fifth inning, just end the game, for the love of God. For all, And more often than not, the team that's losing wants the game to be over, so they don't have to waste two or three more pitchers to begin with. So... I think a lot of the rules that are in place right now are actually pretty good for the game, by and large. I think they've done a lot of good for the game. I, I don't see a Super 8 coming back within the next two years. I don't think it's going to be revisited again for a couple of years. But what I would love to see, what to me would be interesting to see happen, is whether or not the margin of victory goes away. It's not going to go away this year, but it might go away next year. It's been it's received a lot of a lot of critical acclaim, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word, but a lot of criticism, I guess, is what actually what I'm looking for on that front. Just the fact that it shouldn't matter whether you win by three runs or one run. The win is the win. Right. Yeah. yeah. What are the pitch count rules? Just because there's probably leagues that they're looking. Do we put in a 90 pitch count or no pitching on back-to-back days? I know it's different for Little League. Do you, off the top of your head, do you know the MIA pitch count rules? I I. Well, I know that the max that you can throw is is 115. So once you throw 115 pitches, you have to sit down for four days. You can't th- you can't throw again. If you're at 114, you can finish a batter. But once you hit 115 after a batter, you have to come out of the game. If you throw 25 or fewer pitches, you can come back on back to back days. And then there's a, the the one day, two day, three days is based on a very range. They're different for sub varsity. Sub varsity, you can only throw 95 in a game as opposed to, to 115. I think 115 is a hefty amount of pitches. Yeah. If you can't get through at least six innings and 115 pitches, your pitchers probably not deserved the right to go into the seventh inning from an efficiency standpoint. And so, again, anywhere between 71 and 115 pitches, you need four days of rest. So theoretically, if you, in the state tournament, if you're playing three games in a week, in all likelihood, you need at least two, if not three guys to get through the week. And that's how, again, that's how it should be. If you're good enough to win a state championship, you should have more than one or two guys that can that can go a full game. Yeah, and they always, you always hear managers say, like, not all 115 pitches are equal. If you're cruising through a 10 nothing win against a team that 
can't hit an 85 mile an hour no fastball. That's a little bit easier. What about venues? I know that you've been to, you've covered games everywhere, all over the state. What are some of your favorite venues to watch games? I think the Lasher's great. I really do. I think they take really good care of the park bar and large. It's easily accessible in terms of parking and if you know where to park on the street around uh, around the Lasher. Holy Cross is a good place to watch a game. I enjoy going. I think Brockton Campanelli Stadium is cool. They just haven't taken great care of the field over the years, which is disappointing. When I was there for Super 8 games, it was a great environment when Braintree and Bridgewater Arena would play. They'd bring great crowds or Franklin, they'd bring a great crowd. I just, I think the atmosphere is cool there when there's fans there. I just wish they took a little bit better care of the playing surface. I think it would make a make a huge difference. I would love to see them find a way to get into Boston College. I think it would be really cool. They've done. We've talked about the the great work that they've done with their facilities over there, and just to continue that relationship, I think would be huge. I think unfortunately, one problem is there's just not a lot of great to really have accessibility to. You want either a really nice grass field that handles water well, or you want turf. Well, there's not a lot of turf fields around here in terms of that have kind of that stadium seating feel, but there are really really nice college facilities at Holy Cross and 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 Lasher. So I think that. Those two fields in particular are the best place to, to watch a game. I actually think St. John Shrewsbury might have the nicest grass field that there is here, and they do have some stadium seating. So I, I would love to see if their field would be used more for tournament games if, if St. John's was not in it. Unfortunately, though, from a baseball standpoint, there's just not a ton of facilities from a neutral state college standpoint to really use that have enough seating capacity for individuals. I would hope, though, in the future that Boston College would become a partner with the MIA to host some games because, again, it's a beautiful facility. They take great care of it, and I just think it would be great branding for the school in general. Yeah, that is a really nice field. Austin Prep's got a really good field, too. <laughs> they do. Yeah, you're right. You made me think of, you You said uh, some fans that were traveling well to Brockton, and you're actually just coming off of covering the state <laughs> tournament in basketball. What about best fan bases? And baseball is a little bit different because it's a little bit difficult. It's not like basketball where you're in the arena and you just feel that energy. But what about best traveling fan bases? I think Franklin's got to be up there for all sports. I love covering. You get around like the middle to late May into June. Franklin plays a lot of night games and they play night games in the tournament. Those crowds are awesome. They fill the outfield behind the fence. They go two, three rows deep. They're down the first and third base lines. It feels like you're almost at like a minor league baseball game. I mean, they just bring great crowds. They used to bring great crowds when they were in the Super 8 tournament. They're awesome. A lot of those Hockabock teams travel really well. The Tons, the Mansfields of the Well. They've got great town pride, great community pride in their athletics. They, they, they really travel well. Central Catholic has good fans. When you look at it, by and large, Needham has really, really good fans. Braintree's always had great fans. Doesn't matter. I think, to me, one thing that you can tell whether or not, and this sounds kind of funny whether or not a school really has passion fans is during the spring because it's way easier to go to a gym when it's packed on a Friday night and sit in the student section and yell than it is in baseball but you really where you can go and support your team but you can't really have that same sort of atmosphere because you're not inside you're not close together you're probably spread out and that's what to me what stands out the most about Franklin is again I encourage people if they're baseball fans, if they're high school baseball fans, you've got to go to a night game at Franklin. Again, middle, late May into June when they're playing tournament games. I've seen them have two, 3,000 people there when they play Zavarian or BC High in a tournament game. It's well worth it. It's a great atmosphere. Yeah, those tournament games are a little different. It's harder to ask of a fan base when it's early April. You know, <laughs> it's 45 degrees. I remember covering a lot of those. I, I used to work up in Newburyport and Gloucester, and you're like right on the water, just catching wind in your face. You're like, please don't go into extra innings here. All right, I went through the archives, the Herald archives, and looked at your 10 players to watch in 2023. You you wrote this last year. I'm not going to do 10 because a couple of these guys are Austin Prep guys, and they're not MIA players anymore, but maybe you could just tell us a sentence or two or yeah. just a little bit about I don't even remember who guys. I wrote. Yeah, no, so I'm going to I'm going to surprise you. High infielder Cole Bohane. 
Yeah, so Cole Bohan, I believe, is going to Boston College. I don't know if he's committed or not. I don't want to. I don't want to speak erroneously, but I know he was getting close attention from from BC. Mike Gambino had come and watched him a couple of times. Really great right-handed hitter with with power to all fields. I saw him hit an opposite field home run against Catholic Memorial last year to give BC High the win. He's got really really good hand-eye coordination. He's a great athlete. He's strong, and if, to me, if he's developed the way he was going to be, he's going to be a legit Division One prospect. Really really good hitter, and again, someone that when comes up to the plate, it's not that Cole's not a strong kid or anything like that. It's just that he probably would surprise you with the amount of juice that he's got in his bat. Great hitter for BC High last year. Nice. Central Catholic, they, you said they're always compare, competitive in the Merrimack Valley Conference. Josh Florence, who's a right-handed pitcher, outfielder. Yeah, Josh committed to Stonehill pretty recently as a pitcher right-hander. About 83 to 86, really good changeup, good command and control, really athletic on the mound. You know, something, someone that Central Catholic is going to rely on big time for sure throughout the course of the season against big time opponents. They're in the MVC, right? They Central are, yes. Catholic. Yeah, they'll... They have the rivalries with like Lawrence, yep. Lowell. Yeah, those are good rivalries. Hamilton Wenham's right-handed pitcher Gene Gamelli, who I think is he like? I think he's only like a sophomore. He is a sophomore. Yeah, he is outstanding from every stretch of the imagination. Again, someone that someone who probably th- flew under the radar last year as a freshman because he was a freshman. He's one of the top arms in the state. There's simply no question about it. He's a high-profile Division One player. He's going to finish his career with 10-plus strikeout games. He already impressed last year in that league. That's a team alone that's going to compete because of the fact when he's on the mound, they're going to win a lot. And so as long as he's healthy, to me, he's a must-see arm in the MIA this year, despite the fact that he's only a sophomore. So you know what? You listed 10 here. Four of them are actually now in the playing prep baseball. So... It just kind of speaks to how uh, the MIA is kind of losing <laughs> players prep baseball. The four that are no longer in the MIA, Jake Herring, he was at Amesbury. He is now at Austin Prep. David Vander Zowen, who is at Austin Prep. Jake Zawatsky, also at Austin Prep. And then the fourth you mentioned as well, Gabe Mallorette, who is it? He was at Central or Catholic Memorial. He's at Dexter now. Yep. Braden Gray is a right-handed pitcher from Chelmsford. You had mentioned him earlier. Another good Merrimack Valley school. What What is Braden Gray's makeup like? Yeah, so he pitched for Chelmsford last year. Had a good year. I think he was a Globe and, and Harold all scholastic right-hander, 6'2", 6'3". He's in the mid to high 80s. Slider curveball changeup. He was Chelmsford's guy last year on Mondays. I expect he'll be the same thing this year and throw the, the big game during the week. The interesting thing for him was going to be like most top arms that, that run to, run into this is that they everyone in the league's already faced them before. Everyone in the big non-league games has already faced him before. So they're going to know him. They're going to know what to expect out of him. It'll be on him to, to showcase that he's developed in his own right during the offseason and, and gotten better. We talked about kind of the unpredictability when it comes to baseball, right? These guys have already seen them. They know what to expect. But Gray should be one of the top arms in this day this year. He was for most of the year last year, and he should be even better this year. Yeah, we spent a lot of time on Franklin. You mentioned Alfred Mut. Is that how you pronounce it? Sounds Mut- like a pasta dish. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> Is he, where is he coming? Is he Ma- UMass, UMass Lowell? Lowell yeah. yeah, he's a good pitcher who's pitching a lot of big games already for them. And then Tommy Mitchell, left-handed pitcher, Milton. Those two are both tournament tested and going to be a big part of those teams' runs this season. Wanted to ask you any pro prospects in the MIA? I know uh, Jack Cropper is a big time prospect. Do you think? Do you see anybody in the MIA getting drafted after this year? Cropper would certainly be my selection. I don't know why I didn't include Jack Cropper on there. That was some bad staff work by me. <laughs> but, uh, but Cropper would be the guy. I mean, you're talking about a fastball that immediately, we've talked about it, but scouts are immediately drawn to it. One thing that's interesting around Mass is that when the MIA season rolls around for, for potential pro players is that um, there's really not much more to watch for scouts. And what I mean by that is they've already seen them all summer. They saw them all fall. If he went to the area code games, if he went to down south and to, to, to Jupiter or to Fort Myers, 
they're here this spring to see how you've developed it all over the last couple of months when it comes to your off-speed pitches, how your command and control is. But they kind of know who you are already, your makeup, whether you're someone that they're going to be interested in. So I'm going to be interested to see when I go to Norwood to see how many scouts there are. There's certainly going to be scouts there to watch him. There's no question about it. The question's there. If there are 5, 10, 15 scouts, he's someone that's people's on people's radar for down the, lo- down the road. But if you see 25, 30, 35, 50, 60 scouts, which they will be at games, then it tells you that he's someone that you know teams are really strongly considering drafting highly this year. I think for him, it'll just come down to his command and control of his fastball and his and his off-speed pitches to determine whether or not he gets drafted in the top five rounds. In terms of other guys this year, there's just no one that really stands out to me, to be honest with you. There's a number of high-quality players, but... If you're if you're in mass, by, by and large, you have to be someone who's established themselves as one of the best players, not just in the state, but in the country, if you want to get drafted. Just because of the limited high school baseball, because of the limited competition, so to speak, when it comes to who you're going against and who you're around, you're going to have to be someone that's going to be solidified as a top three to five. If you're someone who's really going to get big time attention out of high school, I'd be interested to see how Tommy De- Mitchell develops. I know he's, a, he's only a junior, but next year to me, he's someone that I think could be on people's radars big time. If he develops the way that Milton head coach Brendan Morrissey thinks he's going to, he's someone that I would definitely keep a really really close eye on plenty of players on the isl scene when it comes to potentially getting drafted in the next couple of years but to me jack cropper's the the one guy and again i'm gonna be interested to see kind of what the scout attention is like when i go out and watch him play this spring yeah that's interesting i hadn't really thought of that differentiation between five scouts means we'll catch you in three years when you're coming out of college and 50 60 scouts i remember i went to a milton academy game when matt Tabor was there and I was like, whoa, this is like <laughs> 10 times as many scouts as I'm used to seeing at games. And he ended up getting drafted, I think, in the third round. Diamondbacks, um, yeah. Yep. All right. Last thing for you. I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm just going to do divisions one through three because, like we said, division four, sure. five, hard to forecast. I think we, just from your breakdown earlier, I think I know who you're going to pick. Division one, do you like... Taunton, Franklin, or another team? I mean, I'm just going to pick Franklin. I just feel like I have to. Like, I don't know. I just feel like I can't <laughs> go wrong. Like, I'm never going to have egg on my face. They lost. In, I picked them last year. They lost in the state final. I think Franklin will be the last team standing. But again, I, I do think there are a number of good teams in Division One. Taunton, St. John Shrewsbury, to me, is going to be in the mix. Shrewsbury High School will be right there in the mix. I think there's a number of teams right there that are going to compete for the Division One state. If we're looking at odds for Division Two, I'd say Milton is the favorite, and maybe the field is about even odds with Milton. Yeah. Do you like Milton in Division Two or another team? I'm gonna. I was going back and forth between Milton and King Philip. To be honest with you, Motorana was hurt for most of last year, came back, and then through this the, the complete game in the semifinals. I think they're going to be really, really good. They've got a ton of top arms across the board. I am going to take Milton to win it. I think. I think we're going to get a rematch in the Division Two state final. And finally, Division Three. It sounded like. You like Foxborough. Medfield's going to be there, I think, right there with the rest. Austin Prep's gone. Newburyport, who knows? Pentucket, you mentioned. Who do you like in Division Three? Going Oakmont. Oh, wow. Yeah. Watson, Mexico. Watson, Mexico. Caleb yeah. Allen's a really good one-two punch in the rotation. They were good last year across the board. I think they got upset a little earlier in the tournament that they were hoping for. But I think Oakmont's going to have a really, really good And so I'm taking them in Division Three. Good deal. Well... Matt, thank you so much for offering your expertise. It'll be great to get your top 10 this year. That'll be a a big value add for our readers who weren't getting that last year. So looking forward to following your coverage. Yeah, looking forward to helping out this year. Should be a lot of fun, especially once we get through the first uh, three weeks. But usually by past April vacation, that's like my barometer point. We're hoping that we're in the clear when it comes comes to weather. One thing I always stress when it comes to baseball is that it's such a long year in a short time period, teams are never the same the middle end of May than they are the first week in April when it's 30 degrees outside. So can never read too much into into early season results. And it's hard, too, because you stack up like 
stuff will get rained out. Oh, you yeah. Know, weather will be a factor in the beginning of April. And then all of a sudden you're trying to squeeze four games in a week. And like, who has a good number four starter? So <laughs> last year, the last week of the season, Chelmsford played Central Catholic BCI in the prep in like a four day span. They went 0 and 3. And I was like, well, that's kind of unfair. Like, <laughs> yeah. again, like two of them were right now at makeups, I think. So, no, you're definitely right. I mean, when it comes to when it comes to the weather around here, there's always there's always a reason to to be skeptical sometimes of, of one off results. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Matt Feld, for joining us on the Base Path Podcast. Rate, review, subscribe to the Base Path Podcast on your preferred platform. Thanks to our producer, David Yaz. The Base Path Podcast is a Siemens Media production. 